Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay, before we hear from our speaker today, it's our tradition to go around the room and say our names. I'll go ahead and begin. My name is Roy. Jason. I'm Greg. I'm Tom. Prasada Chitta. I'm Tom. Jonathan. Mark. Richard. Jack. Michael. Richard. I am Al. My name is Ray. Ed. Peter. Gary. Thank you. And David. David Lewis is our speaker today. He's been following the Dharma path for over 40 years and has a degree in comparative religious studies. <clears throat> he started out in the Tibetan Shambhala tradition and has been practicing Vipassana meditation since moving to San Francisco over 25 years ago. For the past seven years, he has been practicing intensively. David is a member of the Mission Dharma Sangha, where he teaches an introduction to insight meditation class. He is a longtime member of the Gay Buddhist Fellowship and also leads a weekly sitting group for seniors every Friday morning. David is a graduate of Spirit Rocks Meditation Center's Dedication Practitioners Program and has been on the teaching team for Spirit Rock Retreats. Welcome, David. Thank you. <clears throat> well, I'm happy to be here and happy to see you here. And I have a whole lot of other mixed feelings this morning. On one hand, I um, Pride Sunday every year. I always remember the my first parade. It was about 30 years ago. I wasn't even I wasn't a resident yet. It must have been more than 30 years ago because I've lived here for 30 years. I was in San Francisco for a convention, and it just happened to be Pride Weekend. I was fairly closeted at the time, and so I skipped the convention and spent the weekend doing Pride, and it was just one of the happiest times of my life, the happiest weekends of my life. It was just great joy. It was a, I was out in many aspects of my life and not in other aspects of my life, but it really felt like it coming out to me. So I always remember that, and this morning I was walking down 24th Street and I saw a little gaggle of young lesbians, they were all happy and excited on their way to the parade, and a couple of doddering old men that were kind of holding each other up and covered in rainbows, and they were heading for the parade, and it just brought a lot of joy to me. But I'm... Um, essentially an introvert. I'm actually a pretty big introvert and um, I don't do parades anymore. I don't like crowds much. So it's uh, also deeply meaningful for me every year to uh, have this opportunity to have a quiet way of being in community and celebrating pride and celebrating uh, all it means to be gay and to do it in a quiet way. And I find it just as meaningful. Somebody uh, 
was saying to me, well, I felt a little guilty about not going to the parade, the, the, the parade today and, and making a statement. And, and, uh, I think we're making a statement here. We talk about uh, merit in Buddhist practice, and we always offer our merit at the end of uh, uh, our set on Sunday mornings, but basically what offering merit is, is acknowledging that we're different people as a result of having uh, sat quietly together. And we are different people going out into the world, and we have an impact on the world. And that's, uh, that's an offering from our community to the world. So. I hope nobody is feeling badly about not being at the parade this morning. Maybe you're going afterwards, maybe you're not, but uh, sitting in community is a mighty powerful way of, uh, of acknowledging our community. Pico Iyer, who's a travel writer and hangs out with the Dalai Lama a lot, said, "Sitting still is a way in fall, is a sitting still is a way of falling in love with the world and everything in it." So, I hope we're all falling in love a little bit this morning. So, on the other hand, I also acknowledge uh, that we're all in mourning still for the victims of the, for the 50 victims of the Pulse Massacre in Orlando, uh, which was just two weeks ago. And I've been uh, very tenderized since that. Uh, since then, uh, I've been experiencing a lot of sadness. Uh, some of my friends have been experiencing a lot of anger, or a lot of—I don't know. It's probably different for everybody in this room. Uh, so I have, hope we have some time to share um, at the end. But so I have mixed feelings going on. I'm kind of I'm happy and sad at the same time, and tenderized and. Uh, feeling very open. Uh, it was also, uh, so it was exactly two, two weeks ago that the Pulse killings happened, a terrible tragedy. It was exactly a year ago, uh, Ray reminded me this morning, exactly a year ago today that um, gay marriage went national. And remember how you felt then? Remember how we were a year ago? That was intensely happy. Um, but now we've been reminded that um, homophobia still exists. And um, that took me aback a bit. There's still ignorance and intolerance in the world, and we see it every day in, our, in the newspapers and the political campaign in our own lives. Uh, two weeks before the Pulse killings, on Memorial Day weekend, I, was, uh, I went to a memorial service for uh, uh, an elderly aunt of mine in another country. And uh, I, was, I had a confrontation with a homophobe. And it was more fear on their part than hate, but um, it's the first time that it happened to me for a very long time. 
and live in my comfortable little cocoon of friends and community here in San Francisco and feel pretty safe and I don't run into too much homophobia. Uh, so I was really taken aback. That was the beginning of my tenderizing moment. So I've really been kind of uh, in the mud for the past month. And one of the things that I noticed is how my practice, my Buddhist practice, supported me. One of the first things I noticed after this homophobic incident was um, how my sankharas arose. My triggers got um, got triggered. Uh, sankharas are, are mental habits or are, um, are, are programs. Sometimes it's, it's defined as programs, but basically, you know, childhood messages and that kind of thing that uh, sometimes get buried or forgotten or, or hidden and they pop up when we get triggered by something like a homophobic incident. And I felt gay shame for the first time in many years. Um, and had a lot of my kind of early teenage type responses towards, um, towards feeling shame and embarrassment. And then I realized, well, you know, it's not so much about being gay. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of being gay, but I'm I felt terrible that I made somebody uncomfortable. My mere presence, my, the, just the fact that I was gay. It might have been AIDS, might not have been gay. It might have been AIDS that they were uncomfortable. That's pretty hard to separate in this world. Um, but my stuff came up, the stuff that I hadn't felt for a very long time. And then two weeks later, pulse happened and all that stuff just got exaggerated. So my first reaction on, on, in a very public place of, of, of encountering homophobia was to, to, to run off and hide. That's what I wanted to do. And, and, the, and the, one of the first feelings I had was that um, this is not a safe place to be. And I immediately started projecting on, on everybody in a, in, the, in a crowded room, thinking, these are a bunch of homophobes. I'm in a foreign country. There's not a lot of gay people. As far as I know, I was the only gay person there. Um, and that's all my reactive patterns from uh, from youth. And I caught myself pretty quick, realizing, no, this is not a room full of homophobic people. This is one frightened person that didn't know how to respond to me. And... Um, Everybody's actually been quite nice and kind to me. But there was a temptation to make everybody a homophobe, to project that out into the world and recognize that they were not. So when uh, the pulse killings happened, uh, I noticed a lot of that in the press, a lot of projection happening. And with my friends, I have friends that um, don't feel safe going to the parade today. Think something violent might happen. Other people that we were talking before the meeting this morning that there's uh, grand marshals that have dropped out of the, the parade because they don't feel safe with the um, enhanced police police presence. So that's a cultural thing. That's sankaras. So sometimes it's hard to know what's real and what's not because um, as the Buddha taught that we create our world um, in our heads, basically. Um, the 
what we view as the external world out there, the objective world, is really more a, a subjective project, projection from each of us, and it's different from each of us. So it's good to watch our reactiveness, and if there's anger, um, explore where that anger originates. If there's shame, if there's sadness, first of all, simply have those feelings, not make them wrong or bad. Notice, okay, there's my sadness, and uh, if we recognize their origins, that's that can be useful. So, another thought that I have every year on Pride Weekend is that I don't particularly like the term Pride. Uh, Pride's uh, not generally a, um, an encouraged response to the world by any religious or, or value system, if you think about it. But pride is an uh, understandable response to shame. And the reason I don't like the word pride so much, or the expression of pride, is that it's a response to shame. And I'd really love to, um, for this to be a world where there's no shame, especially for gay people, where there's no shame, no need for, no need for a response to shame, no need for pride, no need for shame. We're simply okay the way we are. So if anybody disagrees with that, you'll have a chance to, <laughs> to, to voice it. Because <clears throat> I want to uh, particularly leave some room for, um, for your comments and the wisdom of the Sangha this morning, this being pride. But just a few more things I wanted to say before we get to that. And one is, uh, getting back to two weeks ago, I was here, um, as many of you were, uh, the morning of the uh, Pulse killings. And um, Tom Moon was the speaker, thankfully. A wonderful person to have been here um, that, that Sunday. And... Uh, we only just got the news, and I was just stunned. I didn't know how I felt or what to think. I was just, I was kind of in shock mode. But I was sitting back there where you're sitting and admiring this beautiful Buddha Rupa. Buddha Rupa is a statue that's also my body, your body is Rupa. Admiring this beautiful Buddha Rupa. And it gave me great comfort, this Buddha, as it always does. And I knew what I was going to speak about this morning, looking at this Buddha. The, the um, mudra, what we do with our hands, um, is a mudra. This, this particular mudra is the Bhumisparsha mudra. mudra. Left hand is like this, the right hand is, is down here. Um, in some um, Buddhist statues, it's touching the ground, and it's, it actually represents touching the ground. And this is 
uh, a mudra that represents a story about the Buddha. It's actually a story of the, the night of the Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, the Buddha was uh, sitting on a full moon night uh, uh, practicing and he was visited by uh, Mara and Mara's minions, the demons of Mara. Mara is, um, I know you've heard uh, stories about Mara. Mara is either a literal demon that lived in uh, Buddha's time and harassed him periodically. Um, Buddha talked often about Mara uh, and being visited by Mara and struggling with Mara. And Mara had uh, an army of demons and they all visited Buddha that night. So Mara was actually, it was either an actual uh, being or demon at that time, or modern interpretation, kind of post-Jungian interpretation of Mara is that Mara is those, um, our doubts, our, um, our personal demons, uh, our negative sankharas, uh, the aspects of our, our um, consciousness and our being and our minds that um, keep us away from awakening and, and prevent happiness in our lives. So um, in that sense we can all relate to uh, uh, to this idea of being attacked by Mara. We have Mara attacks you know, when, when sadness is, overwhelms us or, or doubt or we think we're not deserving or we're not as good as we should be, or people won't like us, or uh, whatever it is, self-criticism, being visited by the demons of Mara. So as the Buddha was working towards enlightenment, um, he was visited by the armies of Mara. They gave him a really hard time and said, you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be enlightened. You don't have it, basically. He was being challenged on many, many different levels. So whether you interpret that as an external voice or an internal voice, it doesn't matter. The Buddha was challenged. You don't have a right to be here. And at a certain point, uh, the Buddha, uh, it's my understanding, not saying anything in response to this, touched his right hand to the ground. Um, The earth is my witness that I have a right to be here. It's my understanding the Buddha didn't say that. The earth said that. The earth spoke up for Buddha and said he has a right to be here. The Buddha is the enlightened one. And uh, the army Samara disappeared. And the Buddha became enlightened. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, when I looked at the Buddha statue, the morning of the killings, I have a right to be here. We have a right to be here. Um, It can be a very quiet affirmation, but um, I always find uh, support in this mudra and in this particular Buddha. Every time I come in here, and I hope I planted the uh, seed in your mind that there's a reminder up here that each, each and every one of us has a right to be here. We have a right to be gay. We have a right to awaken. We have a right to be happy. 
And the earth is our witness. The earth is the natural order of things. So that's my um, main message for this morning. Is um, oh, here's another one. This is a little um, Burmese Buddha, and the Burmese Buddhas are, are really cute because they I think they always look kind of childlike. And, it's, it's, a, it's a very, um, the same um, Bhumisvarsha mudra. I'll, I'll leave it up here if anybody wants to look at it later. So uh, that's kind of been my, my mantra and my, uh, my metaphor in dealing with my strong feelings uh, around um, ex- encountering homophobia myself in the last month and, and also the terrible... Um, massacre of young gay people, half of whom were Puerto Ricans um, in Orlando. And there's um, one more thing I want to say about that that might be controversial, and you might you you may very well disagree with me. And I hope nobody I hope I don't hurt feelings. But a couple of days after the killings. Um, I was numb, I was sad, I was, but I was having basically the same response I've had to the other mass killings in, our, in, our, in this bizarre, violent country we live in. Um, but some news items came out suggesting that um, Omar Mateen, it's a name that people don't use much, Omar Mateen uh, may have been gay. Some of you probably are better informed than I do, than I am. And I don't know what the latest information is, but that hit me profoundly hard. And um, I probably projected some of the story, but um, I guess his, his wife suspected he might have been gay. His father accused him of being gay, I heard. He had been seen in the club. He'd used apps. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. But what came up for me is, what if he's one of us? What if this poor, um, tormented man was did what he did out of internalized homophobia? What if he was, you know, like trying to be a man, trying to be an ISIS warrior, because that's the opposite of being a pathetic faggot? So unnecessary and so tragic. So that's why I said this morning that there are 50 victims, as I include him as a victim. You might not. You might be full of anger and you have a right to be and judgment. But um, I can remember what it felt like to be conflicted before I came out. I can remember my family not uh, worrying about my fam- what I thought my family was going to think of me. And they weren't too happy about it when they when I did come out in my community, in my religious community. I remember those feelings of when I was in the closet. Never occurred to me to do violence. It didn't exhibit in my life as anger, but I understand it does in other people's lives. I've heard I don't know if this is true that the majority of 
violent homophobes are people that are conflicted, have some conflict about their sexuality. So um, I can have compassion for those people. They frighten me, but I can have compassion. And my strongest reaction to this whole tragedy is the senselessness of this happening if it happened because of internalized homophobia. And the homophobia wasn't just Omar Mateen's homophobia, need to kill gay people in order to prove myself somehow. It was what was um, enculturated by his family, maybe by his religion, maybe by his community. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But all of these incidents, for me, over the past month, reminded me that homophobia is very much alive in our world. And also, it's not the only reality. We've made fundamental strides. We have gay marriage in this country. The vast majority of people I come across are, are accepting of me. But homophobia still exists, and certainly much more so in uh, communities other than ours, and certainly even more so in certain repressive countries and other parts of the world. Um, so the struggle continues. So um, I have a lot of conflicted feelings, as I said. And I just want to end by saying that uh, my practice supports me with these conflicted feelings. and uh, You know me, I like to talk about practice. and I don't view Buddhism as a belief system, but rather as a series of practices that support us on the path to awakening. And I just want to mention briefly some options for all of you. The, the options that I've been, think, practices that I've been working on. In order to confront these feelings I'm having. And the first is simply mindfulness practice. We don't often think of mindfulness practice as a refuge in times of trouble. Uh, here's a quote. Disgusting things get thrown on the earth, but the earth isn't horrified by them. When you make your mind the earth, neither agreeable nor disagreeable sensory impressions will take charge of it. So that's one of the things that um, I find to be a natural um, arising out of our practice is from our minds can become like the earth. And that we're not greatly shaken by um, either the good news or the bad news. This is known as equanimity. It can be a great support for us in uh, times of trouble. And I think particularly for the rest of this political, political campaign, political season that we've got, that equanimity is probably uh, one of the best resources that we can all draw on to keep from going out of our minds. And for making the right choices and being active in the world. So mindfulness is a powerful practice at a time like this. 
Another one that might seem more obvious is compassion. It's a very important practice in, in Buddhism. In fact, the, it's said that the wings, two wings of the Dharma are wisdom and compassion. So we can have um, compassion for um, the victims of the killings in Orlando. We can have, uh, if you're able to do it, compassion even for the perpetrator, compassion for the families, compassion for, um, I've, I've read that there's some uh, uh, some kids that were there that weren't out to their families and got outed by the, by the, uh, uh, by the news um, against their will. They weren't ready for it. I just read this morning that uh, there, there was a father that wouldn't claim the body of his son. Only one. Uh, that triggered another Sankara for me. That happened a lot in the AIDS epidemic. Families wouldn't claim bodies. They didn't want anything to do with them. They one of the bank accounts, but they didn't want the bodies. It's another Sankara for me that I hadn't experienced for a long time. There's a wonderful uh, gay man, Buddhist teacher, um, named Pascal Eclair. He's a Canadian, he's a French Canadian. Um, he also has AIDS. And he's a fairly senior te teacher in the Vipassana tradition. And here's what um, Pascal says about compassion and and gay people. Aware of the violence in the world and the power of nonviolent resistance, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the compassion that seeks to protect each living being. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world and of the healing that is made possible when we open to love, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate respect for the beauty and erotic power of the bodies. So there's a very beautiful compassion uh, affirmation from one of our own. Uh, so compassion can be another response, another practice help deal with powerful feelings. And finally, last but not least, there's metta. Loving kindness. Unconditional friendship. The Buddha said, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone. This is the eternal law. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone. This is the eternal law. So as practitioners, that's uh, a good thing to come back to. Hatred will arise, anger will arise. Uh, it's part of being human. But we're the ones to suffer from it. It's not our... Uh, 
It's not our enemies, not the politicians we don't approve of, not the perpetrators of the world. They don't feel our anger. We feel we suffer from our anger. So I'm going to end with uh, another Buddha story about anger. Because I know there's a lot of it in the world today. One day the Buddha was walking through a village. A very angry and rude young man came up and began insulting him. You have no right teaching, teaching others. It's Mara again, right? You have no right teaching others, he shouted. You're as stupid as everybody else. You're nothing but a fake. The Buddha was not upset by these insults. Instead, he asked the young man, Tell me, if you buy a gift for someone and that person does not take it, to whom does the gift belong? The young man was surprised to be asked such a strange question and answered, well, it would belong to me because I bought the gift. The Buddha smiled and said, that is correct. And it is exactly the same with your anger. If you become angry with me and I do not get insulted, then the anger falls back on you. You are the only one who becomes unhappy, not me. All you have done is hurt yourself. So it's okay to be angry, but if you find anger arising, I recommend applying some compassion to yourself. Anger is suffering. Anger hurts. And sometimes it feels like the appropriate response, but in the long run, I'm the one that suffers my anger. I brought the Metta Sutta and I was kind of thinking I might read it. but I think I'd rather hear um, what you have to say this morning. If nobody has anything to say, I'll read the Metta Sutta. But, um, I've given you uh, some food for thought, and oh, one other thing I want to do is, uh, ending my talk, is uh, to do what the uh, monks and the Vipassana and the Theravada tradition often do, and that's to um, ask your forgiveness if I've said anything that um, unduly pushed your buttons or uh, caused harm or upset you or uh, caused ill will, uh, it's not my intention. But I touched on some um, delicate feelings of my own that you might not share and uh, I want to ask your forgiveness for um, if that's happened. So please, um, any reflections or thoughts or feedback? What's going on in your heart this morning? I appreciated what you 
start at the top with <clears throat> by saying that uh, sometimes being quiet is a way of uh, celebrating or uh, not going to the parade or coming here. Uh, I often <clears throat> have that similar response to what you said that, you know, I don't like crowds, I don't like a lot of commotion, I'm more introverted. And um, I often feel guilty about that. <laughs> you know, oh, I should be more active, I should be more out, I should be more, you know, politically active, I should, I should, I should. And uh, so it was, it was helpful for me to hear that, you know, by being, by just being here today, choosing this, as opposed to going to uh, a large celebration, is practicing, you know, yeah. appreciation for being gay. Thank you, Ray, and your, uh, your being here is a great support to me, not as a speaker, but as a fellow quiet person, a fellow yogi. Uh, this community here this morning is a very precious, very precious container. Please, Tom. Yes, I like what you said about uh you know, the merit of even being here in, in a quiet setting and bringing that out into the world. Um, I've been reading quite a few books, and I'm, I'm new to the Sangha. I've um, been reading this one book called Karma, What It Is, What It Isn't, and Why It Matters. And um, the author talked about, you know, we're so quick to, to pinpoint... Um, you know, negative emotions that come from crowds, you know, pandemonium, hate rallies, and we see that as a force, but we don't often celebrate things like pride or even, you know, in the Sangha, um, a sort of collective positive karma and how that can affect the world. So yeah. I just kind of wanted to put that out there and uh, yeah. say that, you know, positive emotions can be a good force as well. Yeah, thank you so much. And we are most certainly creating karma simply by showing up this morning and being quiet. It's a powerful karma. It's so much of what the teachings are about in this tradition. I just Ed? wanted to add uh, from my own personal experience another aspect of, kind of that initial pain and confusion and identity confusion about being gay, which was you know, that to turn me inward and to, to question myself. And what it ultimately did was put me on my spiritual path. And so for that pain, that served a positive purpose in my life because I got on that path in 1980 and I've never, I've never left. You know, my practices have been with me through thick and thin. And um, you know, through, through a divorce I went through a year ago, I just, I, you know, really doubled down with my practices, and it, I got through that very quickly. Yeah. And for that, I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up and um, reminding me that, that that I would suspect I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but that most people come to this practice because of suffering, because you know something's missing or something's wrong, or the solutions that we um, unskillful solutions that haven't worked in the past um, caused us to look for something else and that's what put us on the spiritual path. Certainly true for me. 
So, um, thank you for that. And it's great to see you. Ed and I used to be neighbors and haven't seen him for ages. No. So, um, <clears throat> another practice that can sometimes be helpful for me in, you know, when confronting difficult circumstances or emotions is gratitude. Um, like I mentioned, you know, being grateful. And because it's so easy for us to focus on the one thing that's disturbing us, we sort of lose sight of everything else that we do have to be grateful for. Yeah. The advances, you know, certain beneficial things in our own lives. And it's easy for all of that to like drift off into a fog as our vision just, you know, solely focuses on what's disturbing us or what's in the news. Oh. Yeah, that's so true. And isn't that what we read in the newspapers every day? Is, right. What's wrong with the world? Not, right. Not what's right with it. Yeah, they'll have a gratitude column in, <laughs> in the newspaper. We saw a movie yesterday, and you were there, well, uh, trans, the trans list about transgender. And um, uh, it was a documentary about really very powerful people. Uh, these were kind of celebrities and activists. These weren't ordinary people, I'll say it like that. But, um, it, but if there's any message that comes out of the movie, I think it's we have a right to be here. And it was very uplifting in that way. So that's what kind of came up for me. Exactly. The earth is my witness. Please. So I'm Jason, struck, right? Yeah, Jason. I'm struck by because um, it's something that I feel like I've been uh, feeling in regards to Omar Sakin and the ideas that he might have been gay, and so the idea of having compassion for him. Um, because another aspect, and then having compassion for the people at the club. Because for me, when it first happened, everyone also, you know, everyone's very sad about for, for the victims. There's also a recognition of those environments are also very toxic at times too, in terms of how people act towards each other. Yeah. And it for me it immediately evoked the image of Carrie in the movie Carrie, Stephen King, and they're all gonna laugh at you. Wow. And so in, in some ways he did exactly what Carrie did did, right? Yep. And I'm sure that some of those people were acting just like some of those those high school kids were acting in that movie. So we want to seem to glorify those people on some level, but we all know if you've gone to a gay club, how challenging those environments can be at the same time, yeah. in terms of trying to make connection. Yeah. And then you add layers on for him being um, Muslim, um, being Middle Eastern, yeah. you know, those levels come into play as well. Um, so I do feel that sense of compassion in terms of and then it, I think, links into what you were the story you were telling about the Buddha and those ideas of um, Mara that comes up. And so that was exactly the same thing, right? Whatever stories were coming up for him, just like they come up for Carrie in that moment, you know, that they're all going to laugh at you. All she could see was um, everyone turning against her. So yeah. sure on some level, he was feeling that level of everything has turned against me. Yeah. Yeah. So what does life mean at, at a certain point? So that that deep level of compassion, yeah. and then at the same time internalized homophobia being part of that as well. That not only is homophobia out there, but it also is inside of us. It's also in here. Yeah, yeah. And we have to face that as well, and how that gets put upon others. 
Yeah, it's complicated being a human being, isn't it? <laughs> um, and all those sankaras. And, and the other thing is, we don't know. As I said, you know, we don't know exactly. We don't know what was going on with him. We can kind of speculate. Um, but like you said, we all tend to apply our own life experience to, to what we hear about in the news. And um, sometimes it resonates and sometimes it doesn't. Thank you. Please, Jonathan. I've I've also often gotten I've often I've often become stuck on the word pride as well because it doesn't describe uh, my experience of this month and this day, which is really kind of glorious for me. But I remember. You know, coming up out of the bar at my first gay pride in like 1980 here, and um, rising up out of the bar to, you know, into this glorious expression of freedom. And what I felt was liberation. Uh, you know, gay liberation in the older term still, you know, works for me, or queer liberation. Um, and it's very much like practice to me to go into a space of liberation, to rise above things like pride, uh, to keep on going, um, to be, uh, I'm losing my words, uh, well, in any case, not to be tapping into the old ways of thinking. That experience, that first time, was about being liberated from oppressive thinking within myself. And uh, I still want to celebrate that. Thank you. Well, and that's what this tradition's about too. Our uh, your Buddhist traditions about liberation. So it never ends, right? Yeah, it never ends. It never ends. It's an ongoing process. You could say, it's, I can say I'm out, but my response to to being confronted with homophobia is, you know, that stuff all came. It's still with me. Those sankaras are still with me. So I'm still percolating. I'm still liberating. So it's a, this is a powerful time for all of us. It's a powerful um, learning time. Yeah. Uh, it's another thing that I appreciate about being, you know, a bunch of men that are willing to be quiet and to kind of investigate and go within, because it's uh, a little bit more difficult to do that than to wave a flag, which is a lot more fun. Uh, not that I'm downgrading waving flags or being parades. <laughs> I remember it when it was called Gay Freedom Day. Yes. And yes. that was my favorite um, yeah. title. I've, I've never connected to Gay Pride Day. There's just yeah. something about it that, and I think you, you explained it for me beautifully. I've always been, I've never really said it, but I thought, I really liked Gay Freedom Day. My, my was my favorite you know, title you know, for this day, but... You know, I guess we can start a movement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, relating to that, the use of the word gay pride, I think we sort of experienced the flip side of that this last couple of weeks. Because, like you said, David, we were, um, well, so for me, pride has this sense of maybe something that's already happened or it, it has this. A level of complacency to it, like looking backwards. 
And then in the last two weeks, we were shaken and waken up. We were we were awakened to realize, like, no, it's not over. I mean, you know, there's plenty to celebrate, but there's still, you know, so many strides that need to be taken. And there's danger out there. There's violence. There's backlash. You know, that's uh, brewing. And so I think it's a big wake-up call for people. So yeah, I agree. That, you know, the term pride, I think, is a little bit one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. How did you want to read the? Um, go for it. We still have about ten minutes, and we're a small group, so we, I think we could go ahead and have you read that. Thank you. We cannot go wrong with the metta sutta. <laughs> metta, I think most of you probably know, it means loving kindness. Um, also, another translation I like is unconditional friendliness. Uh, but this is the actual metta sutta, metta teaching of the Buddha, which is um, chanted every day in the monasteries in Pali or English. I'll read you the English. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. May it be so. May we all hold metta in our, in our hearts this day and the rest of the days. Metta for all beings. Thank you, David. You know, David, if I may, do we have time for one? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. <clears throat> so that line where it said, not being proud or demanding, 
made me realize that, you know, when, when another decision was made to make it gay pride, I mean, we've had a history of having to stand up and demand everything that we've gained. Yeah. So, you know, I can go both ways on it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I still like gay freedom. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that demand can be very quiet. That demand can be a gesture. It's a hard balancing act. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. The world demands action, but we have to live within ourselves, too. Yeah. Another Thank translation you. of that is easily contented. Yeah. And rather than not demanding. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if we can be demanding and easily contented at the same time. Yeah, yeah. without having our way all the time. Yeah. Every month. That's a practice. <laughs> yeah, like that. We'll see. Yeah, it's too bad if we had another hour, we could pick apart the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. So next week is um, July 3rd, is open discussion. So we will have that. And uh, this is a good time to talk about Donna, which is uh, the poly word for giving. And we'll be passing around a Donna bowl with suggested. Uh, Giving is eight to ten dollars, but whatever you can freely give is greatly appreciated. It covers all of the costs of the sangha, including this beautiful space and the work that we do for the Larkin Street dinners, the mailers, and all that we do for the, for the community. So, and our host today is. Your host today. So uh, I brought some cookies and date rolls. Please uh, eat them upside up today. Um, there's water for tea, and we have a dishwasher now, so just put your cup in the dishwasher. There's a, a sign-up sheet for uh, if you want to get the newsletter. Um, some people go out to lunch at 12:30. You might consider actually inviting someone. Some people are perhaps shy of just joining, so it's a possible. Uh, way to extend <coughs> graciousness. And I think that's it. I think so. And I smuggled in the last half of a blueberry nectarine cobbler that's <laughs> gluten-free that uh, Gary and I took to an earlier brunch. So um, if, you, if it looks picked over, it's because, I mean, you know, there's part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have any, I don't have any, I'm sure we can do something. We'll find a way. But it's gluten free. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> any other announcements today? Okay, let's go ahead and stand for the dedication of narratives. Yeah. Recognizing the um, power of our practice and community together, the power of being together in silence and spaciousness, and um, acknowledging the merit of that practice in our world. In the same way that we all come together in the Dharma to wanting to be happy, wanting to be free. We wish that for all gay people everywhere. Gay people in repressive countries, repressive cultures, repressive communities, even within our country. 
find peace and freedom and acceptance. It'd be okay to simply uh, to be here as the earth is our witness. Not just gay people, but um, as the Metta Sutta wishes, uh, all beings everywhere, high and low, human, animal, birds, and insects, may all beings be free, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free of suffering. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here and you carry much peace in your heart today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.